lie from the empire of lies, a bastion of truth, free speech, open debate, and intellectual diversity in the vast wasteland that is the new world order under Joe Biden. You're joining us on Truth Tuesday with special guest host, co-host, Jason Goodman on Backstory. Hey Jason, how you doing? I'm well, Lee. How are you? I'm okay. So we got a lot of news to talk, talk about, and obviously more on the death, the murder of Daria Dugina uh, yesterday. You, you of course heard about that, Jason. You've been following yeah. that story. I have. You know, she was personal friends with John Mark Dugan. Yeah, yeah. We've been lucky to talk to a couple of people who knew her, and I think yeah. Mark Sabota is going to be on tomorrow. And he's known her probably for, I'm guessing, 10 years. Oh, wow. It's so terrible. That She's very young. Something. She's 29. Yeah, terrible. So I'm guessing Mark Sabota has known her more or less since she was a teenager. Right. And that must be especially weird. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah of course. You always feel kind of protective of people like that who've known since they were that young. And then when you see him blown up by a bomb, by Ukrainians. Yeah, and you know what's also right. interestingly is that we've been, you know, three weeks since they raided Donald Trump's house, we know nothing. Two or three days, and Russia is already turning up evidence that appears pretty compelling. Yeah, and they're saying that they had, the National Archives is saying they had 700 pages of material that they found at the Trump house that was classified, but that's in the narrative. Right. So we'll talk about that. Let's talk about who's gonna be on the show today. In the first hour, we have the great Elijah Marnier, geopolitical analyst and writer, talking about the Dugina situation. And we'll also talk about some stuff that's going on with Iran. Then in the second hour, a guest we have not had on in a while, but we're happy to have on with us today, Kim Iverson will be on the show. And we'll be talking to her about some of the leftist beefs. I'll explain that in a second. And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. This is The Backstory. So let me explain the beef thing, because I don't want anyone to think this is a Bill Gates, you know, fake meat thing. <laughs> the beefs, in, there's a ch- YouTube channel called The Vanguard. And uh-huh. what they seem to do, they're leftists. And what this, they're admit. I'm, I'm not accusing them of being leftists. They say they're leftists. Mm-hmm. And what their show apparently covers is they cover all the infighting on the left. The beefs. So if somebody's having a fight with somebody else on the left, which happens often, you may have noticed. <laughs> yeah. Stalin knows that too. But right. And you know, like, and the beefs sometimes end with an ice pick in the head. Ooh, as Trotsky well, that's found for out. Stalin, not this not this YouTube channel. They just have a picture of a van, so maybe they're into van life. Right. And and who can argue with that? But yeah. they cover beefs 
and you and I are not admittedly on the left, Jason. Correct. We consider ourselves on the right because basically if left or right are our only two options, yeah. would you say that's where we're on the right? Uh, I agree with that, yes, that it that neither fits either you or I perfectly, but given the choice of two things, yes, the, the uh, centrist right is much more where I would find myself. And so, so one topic I, I want to bring related to this. Anyway, they have a show that covers beefs. And I think that's an – I don't know of any show on the right that specifically covers who's – like Lee's fighting with Cernovich or whatever. Are you <laughs> well, I was going to say any, our show. We talk about that. <laughs> no, it's not that we don't talk about it, but they're actually dedicated to it. Right, right. That's Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's their theme. And yeah. I think that's very interesting. And yeah. in one sense, I feel like the right could use a show like that. Uh-huh. Could. So right. what do you think? Lynn, Let me just start Lynn there. Wood, what do Lynn you think? Wood and uh, Patrick Byrne would be one. Patrick Byrne and Sidney Powell. Uh, Mike Lindell and, I don't know, maybe me. I don't know. <laughs> Who could be in these beefs? You and Cernovich, definitely. You and Jack Posobiec. Me and a bunch George. of people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would get – but – I think in general, airing differences is fine. Now, what I don't yeah. like about the Vanguard show is a lot of it seems petty and a lot of it seems, you know, bereft of intellectual content. But also well, and that's the danger, though, with that type of thing, right, is that it could easily slide into like a high school bickering kind of lowbrow low sort of mess. That's a good point. And I think the danger of that is that it escalates the conflict. Right. That's true, Does that too. Make sense? Yeah. Maybe this is not such think, a good idea. <laughs> no, I think that kind of show would have the effect of escalating those conflicts and making them not about the issue that the original beef was about. Right. But about what they said about you on the show or whatever. Does that make sense, Jason? Yeah, I haven't seen that Vanguard show before. And then you told me about some Black Panthers movie about the Vanguard of something or other. So I don't know. Maybe they're trying to play off of that. Well, no, the Vanguard is it's a leftist term. It means the leading edge of, of uh, the revolution. The right. Black Panthers were considered in the 60s the Vanguard of the revolution. And right. the people with the uh, – uh, Students for a Democratic Society, who became the Weather Underground, yeah. they felt strongly that black people had to be the vanguard of a revolution. In other words, they should lead the revolution. And that's why sometimes at Black Lives Matter protests, have you ever seen where they make white people go to the back? I thought that was the white people getting behind the black people so that when the police start, you know, fighting and spraying, they're, you know, behind them. And it seemed racist to me. Now, uh, you'll you'll see some protest march that say white people are back yeah. and white people because the leftists com- comply. Yeah. The, the Weather Underground agreed that they should be at the back of the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. And so uh, but that is what the vanguard means. And it's a it's a common term on the left. It's used yeah. all over the place. Now, the other thing I was just thinking about that leftists are really whiny about when you call people leftists, they want to disagree. Or when you say this is socialism, you notice leftists jump in and say, 
oh, that's not socialism. Oh, no, Bernie Sanders, that's democratic socialism. They try to parse it down right. to a sub-atomic level, almost, what kind of leftism it is. Have you noticed right. that? Yeah, I mean, it's like an intellectual kind of pseudo-intellectual approach to trying to talk about something that they're going to think you don't know about. Uh, it's it's just chatter and nonsense, if you ask me. Well, let me uh, contribute to that. Let me put leftists on notice. Every time you talk about capitalism, me, Lee Stranahan, what you're talking about is not, in fact, capitalism in my mind. Every time right. leftists whine about capitalism, I, I mean, I'll, like every time, and something is wrong with it, seems to me they're giving an example of bad things in the mixed economy. It's not a function of capitalism, but it's a function of government involvement in capitalism. Right. You know, We've had good conversations with people who know a lot about economics and history who have spoken about the difference between capitalism and free markets. And I think that's where – this is important what you're talking about now, Lee, because see – Leftists want to manipulate language so that you don't even know what it is that's being argued about. You know, they decide what is information and what is misinformation, and they just constantly publish and republish the same statement, and they basically manufacture their own truth and from that construct their own reality. And if you don't like it, shut up, get blocked, go to jail, get beat up, whatever. No, no, that's exactly right. And that's why – and what they call capitalism – is not what I would call capitalism. I, I would call it mixed economy stuff at best. And in uh, some cases, people from the right call it socialism. So, for instance, when you look at, uh, let's say, manipulations in the food market or you know anything like that, that's not generally a capitalist manipulation. It's someone getting involved with the use of force, with the government getting involved. Do you know what I'm getting at, Jason? Well, what do you mean manipulations in the food market? Like the, the wheat, the grain well, coming from Ukraine, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. anything. I, I don't have an example on a food one, but oh. it's been a topic of discussion. So yeah. let me think. Uh, well, I'll give you a good example. Be, this thing that Biden it. just did with electric cars, right? My father was contemplating yes. getting a new car. And it was a hybrid and there was some kind of tax, something or other going on that was like a few thousand bucks. And like Tuesday, because this was a – I think it was a Volvo or something. But basically that credit went away because it's not an American manufactured car. So essentially the price went up several thousand dollars and my father said, forget it. Just not going to buy the car. So now whoever is working at that Volvo dealership is American. They're not selling a car. Not because Volvo – had some deficiency with their cars or because General Motors came out with a better car, Joe Biden messed with the thing and blew the deal. If you're the salesman at the Volvo de dealership, you're pissed. Well, when they talk about problems broadly and, you know, energy problems or food pro problems, they blame capitalism. They say it's a result of the capitalist system. And I disagree. It's a yeah. result of interference in a capitalist system. And what you right. gave is a good example, Jason. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what your dad might look into. Your dad might look into going to college suddenly. <laughs> he did I know already go to college <laughs> years ago. <laughs> well, he, Get the money he, back, you mean? He went to college at the wrong time because yeah. Joe Biden tomorrow is apparently going to announce collegiate 
debt relief. If you oh. took out a loan and you said, I'll pay back that loan, Joe Biden said, nah, don't worry about it. But how can he do that, Lee? He's not giving the loan. He's going to some other business. And we can talk about the corruption or, or allegations of corruption in that other business. But it's not like Joe Biden went through some legal procedure, determined there was some problem, and this is remuneration. He's just, just like he did to this Volvo dealership. He's picking winners and losers. That is not capitalism. And the, winner, the, the losers are people who pay back their college loan. Or taxes. Let me make it clear. Yeah. Right. If you went to college and you took out a big, big loan and now you're in struggling to pay back for 20 years, yeah. tough noogies, you right. get to keep paying that back. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. Can, can I How can noogies? it get worse? Yeah. How can it get worse? With Lee? the could, <laughs> I don't understand what could be done to make our overall situation much worse right now. Well, we'll talk about it later. Elijah Marnier is on the line, so let's take a short break, Jason, and when we come back, we'll talk to Elijah Marnier. What's the name of the show, Jason? This is The Backstory. Story and joining us now, writer and geopolitical analyst Elijah Marnier. Hey, Elijah, how are you doing today? I'm Hi, fine, thank you. How are you? I'm, I'm very good. By the way, Elijah, meet guest co host Jason Goodman. Jason, Hello. Elijah, Elijah, Jason. Pleasure to meet you. Hi, Jason. How are you? So, Elijah, update us on what's new with this horrible bombing that took place in Moscow that dairy because since we did a show yesterday they seem to have found someone talk about that a suspect who they think may be in Austria but they think may have left talk about what's new with the Daria Dugana assassination well it is really sad to see this kind of uh... Uh, murder happening in Moscow against journalists just to send a message to President Putin and to his entourage, which is an obvious way. Maybe it, it, the objective was not uh, uh, the uh, daughter of uh, Alexander uh, Dugin, but uh, uh, Alexander himself because of his relationship with President Putin. But it is obvious that it's a message uh, to say that we can reach you anywhere, or we can reach your, uh, the people who are uh, around you, and we can cause pain to the people who support uh, President Putin. That is the main message. And it's quite a, 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 a very old-fashioned way to put a bomb under a car and then uh, um, send these kind of messages. We've seen that a lot happening in the Middle East throughout the decades. And it's obvious that is related to the war in Ukraine. Didn't they have video? They, they said that this suspect had taken an apartment in the same building as Daria. Did she live in the same building as her father? How do we know they weren't targeting her to put, I mean, what would hurt a father more than murdering the innocent daughter? Because both of them were on a piece of 
You know what the peacekeeper list is, Jason? That's the journalists that Zelensky hates. Right. That's a journalist he wants to kill, which tells right. you what his idea of peace. The peacemaker list, both Alexander Dugan and Daria Dugina are on the list. Yeah. So there you go. So what is Elijah, the relationship already- between Alexander and Putin? What is that relationship? Because in the United States, they say he's Putin's brain. But now that I'm watching more Russian media about it, they say that it's been way overstated what his relationship with Putin might be. Yeah, well, Elijah. Yeah, there are two things. Well, first of all, this kind of style of assassination, we've seen it before in Damascus by uh, several intelligence services, including the Americans and the Israelis, when they killed the leader of Hezbollah renting a flat just opposite the place that he was frequenting. So this is something that's uh, a deja vu in the past. Secondly, um, Alexander Dugin is a philosopher who um, I've I've seen many times on social media. I've heard a lot of his uh, way of uh, reflection and the way uh, he sees the world. I don't think he's uh, Putin's brain because every president is surrounded by many people who offer advices and who have their own point of view, but they never have the biggest picture as a decision maker. So it is a bit exaggerating by saying that he is uh, Putin's brain. But however, it is uh, because of this kind of information that is out since quite some time, and because it's a, it's a way to spread the message that we are hitting Putin uh, uh, people who are close to Putin, because this is a, a message to the Russian president. This is the way the message was sent, because at the end of the day, uh, Darian is a journalist. She's 29 years old. She doesn't represent a real danger, really, to anybody. So it is kind of a channel to channel the message, as I said, to, the, to, to give a bigger picture that we can uh, reach you wherever you want. Uh, and that is a message to deter one's enemies normally is used. However, it intimidates only the weak people, but not those who are determined and when the national security is at play and when things are much bigger than what's happening. It is not the, uh, a simple war that is happening in Ukraine. It's a war between the United States and Russia. It is a war to bring down the U.S. from its uh, uh, unilateral hegemony of the world. It's not the assassination of Darian that is going to stop or change the mind of President Putin or Russia to continue this war challenging the U.S. and NATO. Now, What's going on? It's important to note that, by the way, Ukraine, a lot of Ukrainian analysts are saying uh, Daria had been to Mariupol. We talked yesterday to Sonia Vanden and about that. Daria had been to Mariupol and had been to the Avastol plant and had seen and talked to people who'd been affected by the Nazis, the the the. Uh, the Nazis in Mariupol. And she yeah, I believe called, she was there with John Dugan. Right. Yeah, yes. And she was with, with, with Sonia, too. And yeah. she, they're, they're saying that it was valid to target her because of that. Now, you Whoa. talked about the Western involvement in this, Elijah. Even though 
And anybody can go online. We're on the radio, so we can't show you. But go online and look for the video. It's very easy to find. They have a lot of material on this woman. But as you said, this is essentially a proxy war with Ukraine doing the bidding of the West. Do you think, Elijah, that the West could have been directly involved? Do you think this the CIA or someone else, not saying this woman isn't, but that she's essentially a cutout? Do you think that's possible, Elijah? Well, look, it is not the fact that uh, Darian had been to Mariupol or to other parts of Ukraine. Um, uh, Many journalists have done exactly the same, and they're really covering also the other part in the Donbass area, speaking about what the Ukrainians are doing and how the war is unfolding, not only from the pro-Kiev side, but also on the other side that has been under bombardment since 2014. It is, I think, the key point in this assassination and murder is the fact that it happened in Moscow, in the capital, in the Russian capital. That is the key. It means that the security, it's a breach in the security. That's a message that the uh, uh, assassins wanted to send. They want to say that we hit you in the heart of your capital. And, and we hit someone who may be close to you because Darian, at the end of the day, is not close to President Putin, but the father has this reputation. So it is really a very hard message. And we have seen the capability of the Ukrainian when they uh, are on their own. They're really not capable people. At the end of the day, it is the uh, military operation ruined at the Randstein in Germany, led by the United States and all the other allies, uh, NATO members who are directing the battle in Ukraine and not the Ukrainian. The Ukrainians, I mean, the Americans and NATO are fighting to the last Ukrainians, and there are special forces from the United States, uh, Lithuania, Germany, uh, UK, and other countries. And uh, those who are really with satellite images and with uh, the real brain that are directing the all the attacks and uh, the counteroffensive and uh, the sabotage are the uh, Americans and their allies. So at the end of the day, uh, to the Ukrainians will never occur to go to Moscow and to plant a bomb under the car of uh, uh, Alexander Dugin or his daughter. Jason, do you have any more questions on this before we move on a little bit? Well, I just, uh, everyone has been saying that this was uh, supposed to be Dugan. There's that whole strange thing where he got out of the car and she took a different car. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know if I have any more questions. I want to learn more, but the whole thing does, it's very, very troubling. And the final point on this, Elijah, that I want to ask you about, do the Russians really have any options? They're saying they want the woman extradited. She went to Estonia and apparently then Austria. But there's no way the West will extradite anybody. So what options does Russia really have in terms of dealing with this, Elijah? Well, the only option Russia has is to continue the war in Ukraine until the Ukrainians give up on 
giving uh, their lives and uh, their country to the West to direct their lives and to tell them what to do and what not to do and to uh, just keep fighting to the last Ukrainian. The Russia is not going to be stopped by the assassination of Darian or by the assassination of uh, top decision makers in the military on the political echelon in Russia. Things don't go in that direction. At the end of the day, this is a national security matter for Russia and the decision to go to war in on the 21st of February uh, this year it, it is related to something much bigger uh, than one person or 100 or 1,000 or 100,000 person. It is a question of national security. It's a question of the uh, uh, security of Russia. It's a question of what President Putin rightly said. If there are nuclear bombs in Ukraine, uh, they, they need uh, six to seven minutes for a missile or a a nuclear missile to reach Moscow. This is something that is very critical to the security of Russia, which is exactly the same reaction the Americans had when uh, the Chinese made an agreement with the Solomon Island that are 9,800 kilometers away from America and 2,000 kilometers from Australia that said this is a violation of our red line. So can you imagine the assassination of Darian is not going to stop Russia from pushing away the danger of Ukraine becoming a nuclear country weaponized and becoming a NATO member. And this warning has been launched by the Russian since the perestroika in 1991, renewed by President Putin in 2008 during the Munich Security um, Summit and repeated every single year by the Russian officials until April 2021, when the first Russian troops were gathered on the Ukrainian borders. and. Uh, Putin was extremely serious by saying, this is what I am going to happen. And according to the director of the CIA, Russia had 30,000 troops in April 2021. So the Americans were very much aware what's going on and very much aware that they were violating the Russian uh, national security limits. And I don't think the assassination, as I said, of top officials and not a journalist, which is very unfortunate and very sad, is going to stop all that or is going to change anything. You know, just briefly on what you had mentioned earlier there, Lee, I had heard something earlier today that there actually is a pretty complicated extradition law that is uh, was introduced when the EU was formed. And I'm not exa- I'm looking for it now. I can't find it. But depending on which country this suspect has fled to, Russia may be able to compel an extradition based on this EU extradition level. We'll have to look into that later. I'm, I'm, I'll bet money that the EU will make an exception for Russia. And not do it. Yeah, you're right. Yes. My, my, no, that's my guess. Happen. It's not going to happen. The EU will not collaborate with Russia because the EU has decided to put all its eggs in the American basket. And I don't think the uh, European Union 
nation, the 27 nation or any other Euro European country is going to collaborate with Russia and to hand over the suspect to be interrogated in Russia is not going to happen. Yes, I, I, I agree, Elijah. Now, did you see the recently there's a meeting between Vladimir Zelensky, the head of Ukraine, uh, Erdogan from Turkey or Turkey and uh, Gutierrez from the U.N. Did you see any of the press conference, Elijah? Yes. What happened during the visit of uh, President uh, uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan to uh, Ukraine and the meeting in Lviv on the western border close to Poland, it, uh, with the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres, with the aim to con first continue the flow of uh, shipment of grain from Ukraine to the rest of the world. Uh, so far, they've sent 625,000 tons. However, this meeting is important because normally what we know from different wars in the past, the United Nations role is only visible when the Americans uh, want to give some role to the United Nations and when they see things not happening in the way they would like to see them happening. This, this is why we've seen uh, sabotage attacks in Crimea, uh, the uh, car bomb in Moscow, uh, all these indications, they're not a strategic response, they are tactical responses. Therefore, we see the presence of uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who started from the beginning to try to mediate between Ukraine and Russia. Well, I would like to say Ukraine and Russia, but effectively it is not Ukraine because uh, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky is the president of Ukraine officially, but the real president of Ukraine is uh, Victoria Nuland, the assistant secretary of state, uh, the U.S. assistant secretary of state. Therefore, it is not the decision to Ukraine to continue or not continue the war. And particularly when Ukraine came out with documents leaked to the press, uh, intentionally, I think, that they have so far 50,000 men killed and 141,000 wounded. So two, uh, around 191,000 out of 230,000 men, that's a very large number. And yet they continue fighting. It is not in any book. In any book, it pushes the enemy that is weaker than the attacking forces to seek compromise or negotiation or to seek intermediate negotiation. This is the role of uh, Turkey. However, it is, we have to see if the Americans are willing to allow uh, Turkey to continue this role. We have to keep in mind that Turkey uh, has the second largest number of troops in NATO. It is a NATO a member, and it has 50 uh, U.S. nuclear bombs directed toward Russia at the Inzerlik military base in uh, Turkey. Uh, and it is playing a role positive toward Russia, positive toward Ukraine, trying to uh, find a, a way to end this war. And we've seen the president of the United Nations Secretary General for the first time uh, on the ground in Ukraine. It doesn't mean the war is going to stop tomorrow, but that was a positive sign. Normally, it takes several months before we've seen more active role of the United Nations. But we have seen the first presence. That's a good sign.
But I thought there was something slightly weird about the meeting. First off, it did not go as long as people thought. It was about 40 minutes. And then the press conference, they seemed and, – and I, I don't want to sound petty. I actually think this is important. Zelensky looked like he'd been dragged out of the street. Erdogan and Guterres looked like they were professionals in the di- di- diplomatic corps. They were dressed for the part. But Zelensky looked out of it. And did you see him, Jason? I did not. Well, yes, check this out. Yes. You're right. I know where your remark comes from. However, as yes. I said, he is not the decision maker in Ukraine. He's not the one. He's a comedian at the end of the day. And he <laughs> has a role as a comedian, not as a president. He is more concerned about his pictures and the one of his wife at Vogue uh, right. magazine. But uh, he's not acting as a president in a country at war and certainly doesn't hold any decision in this, any say in this war. So it's the and, obvious, uh, it's nothing new, really. And the reason I said it's not petty, but it's somewhat important, is it seems like a lot of the Ukrainian troops are aware of it. And the Ukrainian troops, the people who've been sitting in trenches for months, don't seem to respect Zelensky. Have you heard that? The Ukrainian troops' morale is being affected by their president? Well, the Ukrainians are receiving orders from the military base in Germany. This is the, the center of the operation of the Ukrainian army. So wow. they're not receiving it from the Ukrainian defense ministry. They are, the, the Ukrainians are not really leading the war and not um, having any say in this war. As I said, the Americans are offering satellite intelligence information, weapons. They are telling the Ukrainians what to do on the ground and what not to do, where to hit, where are the weakest points. Uh, they are telling the Ukrainians to go and hit uh, gasoline uh, depot. They're saying you do this act in this area, you move left, right, or in any direction because they are the ones who are commanding the battlefield. So Zelensky... So really I agree, I, I agree Elijah, but if you're sitting in a trench for four months, or six months or something like that, and you had a girlfriend and a job in Kiev, and you were brought into the army, you might do it to defend your homeland, to defend Ukraine, but you're not doing it. You're not sitting in a trench for the U.S. or Germany if you're that 20-year-old Ukrainian kid. Does that make sense? Well, what makes sense to me is I've seen it before, when there is an army saying, well, the Americans are on our side, we can't fail, we can't lose. That is the first beginning uh, message that was sent out to all the Ukrainian armed forces, and they believed it. However, when they started to lose one city after another, uh, almost the entire Donbass is no longer a Ukrainian territory, then, of course, with all the victims and all the casualties they have suffered from, they uh, no longer in the same spirit. And we see the Ukrainian spirit is low. This is why we see the Sabotage Act in Crimea, is to bring the, the low morale up, but it's not going to work, because these are individual, very small victories that are not, they, they, they don't count in a bigger 
picture in a bigger battlefield as the one that's happening in Ukraine. So at the end of the day, uh, the people who are fighting, we don't have a lot of information coming out for one simple reason, because anything that you write about what's happening in reality, you get censored by Twitter, your account were canceled by Facebook, you can't put it anywhere to share it with the world, and the mainstream media is really keeping a very close um, information on what's happening and all the losses that the Ukrainians are suffering from. So at the end of the day, the result of the battle, we all know it. We all know that uh, almost 90% of Donbass is no longer under Ukrainian control. We know that the Ukrainians are suffering very heavy casualties and all the rest is not important. So, Jason, before I move on with Elijah to talk about what's going on with Iran and the U.S., is there anything else on this you want to ask him? Not necessarily ask, but just to provide my uh, two cents of opinion. This explosion sure. uh, and attack on Daria Dugina, it doesn't seem like a strategic thing that comes from the top down. It seems more like a guerrilla tactic, a vengeful, vindictive you know, th this strikes me as, you know, individuals in Ukraine are so filled with hate against Russia that they want to strike out like this. It's exactly like these castrations that we see in the street, just brutal, violent, not strategic, vindictive, hateful. That's my opinion. Elijah, what's your, what's your take on that? Uh, well, I hear what uh, Jason is saying and I understand what he's saying. However, I'm not sure I can agree with that because to mount such a level of operation in the heart of Moscow, you need a much bigger organization, not just motivated by hate, but uh, it's something that, you see, it is exactly like terrorist groups who love yeah. the media to talk about them. And more they talk about them, more information come out and they show how powerful they are. And we I think have you've hit it. You've the, yeah, we've seen we've seen in Ukraine how there are very skillful people who are in charge of the um, mainstream media uh, yeah. publicity yeah. and the image that they are portraying and how they really are very skillful in where to attack, how to demonize Russia and how to really show how bad are the Russians and to for a simple. A uh, bomb under a car is really to make the world speak about it in length, as we are doing now uh, right. for um, tens of uh, dozens of minutes. It's because for the world to talk about it and spread the information that the, the powerful people who managed to hit in the heart of Moscow and put the car bomb when the, the uh, Russian security forces are incapable of stopping these attacks. So, the so aim Elijah, can you take the last minute, because we're almost out of time, because uh, I know you have to go, and talk about what the U.S. is doing in the Middle East currently. The U.S. is creating havoc in the Middle East for the last 20 years. This is what they are doing. They have 35 military bases. They occupy Afghanistan for 20 years uh, to remove the Taliban and give back the Afghanistan to the same Taliban. They are not wanted in Iraq where they've killed more than one million person. They occupy northeast Syria and steal the oil. 
and prevent Syria from opening its borders with Iraq. This is what they are crippling the Lebanese economy and they are impoverishing and destroying the poorest country in the Middle East, that is Yemen, uh, since the last eight years supporting Saudi Arabia in the genocidal attack against Yemen. This is what the Americans are doing. And finally, with the JCPOA, with the nuclear deal with Iran, what they are doing is they're trying to uh, accuse Iran from not complying with an, uh, an agreement that the Americans are not in since 2018. This is what's happening in the Middle East, really, in a minute. And Elijah, great reporting and a great conversation. Thanks for being on the show and talking you, to Jason and I. We'll talk to you next time, Elijah Marnier. And where can people find your writing? Well, uh, just put my name and you will find on Google my articles. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elijah. Have a good day. Au revoir. And that was a conversation with Elijah Marnier. Let's take a short break, Jason. And when we come back, we'll talk about a variety of other topics. This is the backstory. Backstory and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C., the capital of the Empire of Lies. I'm Lee Strahan, joined by guest co host Jason Goodman on Truth Tuesday. So, Jason, there were three guilty verdicts that made the headlines today. Do you know what they yeah. are? Uh, remind me. I think it's I saw this morning. I'm forgetting. So one of them is Paul Pelosi. Oh, Nancy yes, Pelosi's yes, son. I did see that. Now, five he days, pled guilty. What? Only five days for the DUI. No, no, not even five of classes. He's spending oh. no time behind bars. I did not know who knew you could get drunk and drive and not just that, but cause an accident. Pelosi was stopped because... His car had hit another car. Who yeah, knew the guy. that drunk driving, right? Who knew that drunk driving was such a light offense, Jason? Right. Well, and you get a free class. It's almost a benefit. Right. So that's verdict number one. In Michigan, the verdict came in in a trial of the two guys for the, they said. Oh, Aubrey. The potential. Yeah. No, no, no. The p- kidnapping of Gresham Whitmer. The governor. Oh, oh, I didn't those see that. Guys, those guys were found guilty. And that would have been very bad for the government, particularly the FBI, if it had gone any other way. Because previously they had thrown out some charges because they said the FBI had motivated it. And I still think they may have. Yeah. Uh, how did that those change? Guys That's found weird. Guilty. Huh. And the other one we had, we had a guilty plea. In the Breonna Taylor death in Kentucky, uh, the yeah, woman who that. shot to death when the bullets hit her after her boyfriend shot through a closed door and the police returned fire and she got mm-hmm. hit. Now, we had a guilty plea, and I'm going to point this out. It's a black woman. The, the police officer 
who was found guilty of lying about the Brown-Taylor warrant. And what she said was, apparently, that she talked to a postal inspector, and she had not. So I'm going to point out that Black Lives Matter probably was not hoping that a black woman would be the only person to with a guilty plea in the Breonna Taylor story. Does that make sense, wow. Jason? Yeah, I didn't realize it was a black woman. I thought it was one of the cops involved in the shooting. No, it was, a, it was the cop who applied for the warrant, the no-knock wow. warrant that allowed them to go in. So the only wow. person, the only person found guilty of, because the, uh, the cops in the shooting were quitted. Remember that? Right. The cops yeah. were the, quitted. But yeah. so try to, if she did something wrong, okay. But it was not the result of white supremacy, Mike, I'm, I'm guessing. Does that make sense, Jason? Probably not if she's black. And 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 so that's the other verdict today. Well, I mean, now, not good for justice. Now, since we're talking about law and order, let's get the clip ready. So, Jason, did you see the footage of the cops in Arkansas beating up the dude? Uh, I saw a still was, picture in the headline. Yesterday. I saw the still picture in the headline, but I did not see the video of the actual beatdown. Now, yesterday on Carmine Monday, Carmine and I talked about that video. And that video, the the beating by the cops is brutal. Just watch it. You'll see. It's brutal. But I did not apply the same rigorous standards that I tried to apply to things. And the person who pointed out to me was not me personally, but on his podcast on the law of self-defense, attorney Andrew Branca. So let's play what Andrew Branca said about that shocking video. And it is shocking, but that doesn't mean anything on itself. So let's play the clip. Hit it. Um, my point in this video is to illustrate that uh, I don't know exactly what's happening based on this video and neither do you or does anybody else whose only information to go on is this video. And when I see this reflexive anti-cop response that obviously this must be police abuse, there can be no other possible explanation. Uh, I don't think any of us can make that determination based on this video, especially since we don't see what happens before. We don't see what happens after. It's relatively a short piece of video. And I can tell you that no police use of force ever looks good. They always look ugly. And in the overwhelming number of cases, it's not the police that determine how much force is used in making an arrest. It's the suspect who determines how much force is made during an arrest. Is it theoretically possible that the three cops in this video just set out today, woke up this morning, had a cup of coffee and decided to beat the crap out of some guy they were trying to arrest who was compliant with arrest, who just decided to use excessive force on this guy when they didn't have to? Sure. Anything's possible. Again, I don't know what actually happened here and neither do you. That's the point. Um, I'm tired of these people giving these reflexive 
reflexive, emotional, childlike responses without even bothering to hear both sides of the story. Because there's a lot going on here that we can't see in this video. We can't see the before. We can't see the after. We can't see, with a few rare exceptions, uh, the suspect's hands throughout this video. We don't know what he's doing, what he's grabbing, what he's reaching for based alone on this video. Is it possible this is a case of police abuse? Maybe. It could be, in which case the officers ought to be held accountable. So I thought that was a very good analysis. What did you think, Jason? Uh, well, I just was actually also watching the video while we listened to him. And it is good. He's right. But at the same time, when you see the video, there is a police officer. So one officer in the middle is kind of on the guy. One officer down by his legs is using his own knee to kind of like beat down the guy's leg while another officer punches him in the head about five times. And I understand what the speaker we just heard is getting at. But at the same time, it's hard to understand why maybe just not like leaning on the guy's head while somebody is leaning on his chest and somebody else is holding his legs doesn't pacify him. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I'm not going to immediately condemn the police officers, but it does look possibly like excessive force. There's a difference between the use of force and the use of excessive force. You know, uh, when you talk to the police, they might tell you to do something. They might refuse to answer a question. They might refuse to grant you access to a certain space. That's not necessarily force. But if you get to the point where if a cop says back up and you don't and they push you, you might feel that that's excessive force, but maybe if you backed up when the guy said back up, he wouldn't use any force at all. The dangerous thing for someone to consider as an individual is that when you get into a situation where a police officer makes their own determination that they need to use force, for me, um, de-escalation is the only sensible thing. You see all these people who think they're going to fight with the police. You're definitely going to get your uh, you're definitely going to get really beat up. I'll tell you, I think the George Floyd case was a good example of where a shocking clip was misinterpreted by people because they didn't know what happened before and what happened after. And they didn't even know. Here's the other thing about. And I don't think it applies in this case. Let me make it clear. I'm open to the fact that the cops could have acted badly. I'm open to that. But he's right. Simply looking at one angle, because the yeah. problem with the George Floyd footage, if you looked at it from a different angle, his knee was not on Floyd's neck. That one angle, one angle or one time period, I don't think is sufficient. And that's why generally my rule is before condemning people, I'm going to say I want to see more footage. Yeah. And in the and, Floyd case. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Well, do we know if these officers, like who in this fight was white and black, and what what's the aspect there? There is this is this racial. There's no racial. The, 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 uh, the, and and this is an example that sort of proves a point. The lie that's presented is that cops simply beat up black people for no reason, no reason, and in mm -hmm. every case I've seen. There was a reason they were being fought right. and often violently the taser. Was, yeah, exactly. Right. And and in the case of George Floyd, uh, 
because I like to wait for more footage, I kept waiting for the cops' body cam footage. And when yeah. I started to get suspicious about that story was when the cops' body cam footage didn't come out for weeks. Because I'm like, well, why are they not releasing it? Yeah. And the body cam footage showed that Floyd was fighting them. Why wouldn't they release that so right I, away? Because it doesn't fit their narrative. They were promoting a narrative that he'd been killed because he was black. Why would the cops want to do that, though? Who, who has that footage? The, the cops. The people who run the cops are politicians. Right, right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's talk about more after this break. Let's take a yeah. break. You're listening to Lee Stranahan and Jason Goodman, our Tuesday guest co-host on The Backstory. the second hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines from the empire of lies this is the backstory and thanks to Elijah Marnier for a great appearance and coming up for this hour the great Kim Iverson for the first time in a while we're looking forward to talking to Kim and see how she's doing it's always a great talk with Kim we're joined by guest host Jason Goodman our Tuesday guest co-host on The Backstory. Now, Jason, what's been catching your mind in the news lately? What's been catching your eye? Big story this morning that there was a, uh, a whistleblower complaint filed against Twitter. Did you see this? Yes, I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah, By and it's a well- Munch? Sorry. Yes, exactly. A well-known white hat hacker, you know, cybersecurity expert, Peter, uh, what's his last name? Zate or something like that? I'm going to go with Munch. Goes by Munch. This is online kind of, you know, handle. And he is in an 84-page document detailing how not only Twitter was filled with spam accounts and bot accounts, but they knew that. They hid that because they were focused on growing the user base. But he also talks about serious cybersecurity issues where servers were running outdated operating systems that had known exploits that in some cases allowed uh, the Twitter identities of very famous people to be taken over by malicious parties. And I mean, as far as what Elon Musk has accused Twitter of, this individual, who was a Twitter employee since 2020, it seems to me he's burning the thing down. I, I don't see how Twitter survives this. But what's weird is the stock remains pretty high. I can never figure out what the stock market is thinking uh, ever. That's why I don't play it, because I'm, I'd be bad at it. I'll tell you, you what know, I think I, is I happening. Would just, yeah, just briefly. Ahead. And I'm not a stock expert. I'm not giving anybody any stock advice. But, you know, you're aware, I'm sure, of this Wall Street bets phenomenon with the hashtag stonks, where they take companies that should be going out of business like AMC movie theaters and GameStop, 
And somehow they are rallying these stocks to go up and they do these gamma squeezes and short squeezes. I don't know what any of that is, but it's demonstrating to the public that through the same types of social engineering techniques where malicious, you know, clandestine operatives can do these uh, astroturf tactics to make stupid ideas that they are pushing on the public seem like a grassroots movement, it seems to me the same social engineering techniques are being used to manipulate stock prices. And I wonder if it's not being done to Twitter and Tesla to have some sort of strategic uh, role in this battle between Elon Musk. And I, I think Twitter is a political weapon and uh, an enemy of the United States. And I think Donald Trump should have determined it as that and seized it when he was president and they took him off of there. And perhaps what Donald Trump shouldn't be doing is attacking Elon Musk on stage. I agree. When Elon Musk, I, I'm still not seeing anything. A lot of people have said Elon Musk is not going to buy it. He's obviously going through, he's being sued. I think what's going to end up happening is this lawsuit in Delaware. That's where it is. I think Musk is going to win it. And I think he's going to end up buying Twitter for cheaper than like Twitter wants cents. him to. Yeah. Do you, or, do you, do you well, agree? I don't know. I don't know. I agree that Elon Musk is coming out on top. I don't know if that means that he'll be buying Twitter or at what price. But I think that Twitter will be decimated by this. And let, let me rephrase that. I think that a large number of executives who are either at Twitter now or played a role in create will it will be remembered as like an Enron type. I, I don't think history is going to be kind to Twitter. Twitter is about to be exposed as one of the biggest public corruption. This is my opinion. I think that is going to happen. Elon Musk is going to bring down Twitter. And I think that or possibly improve it. I think know. he's going to do away with it. And what he would do is if he buys it, all he would be doing is basically using – it's like if you bought a magazine and it was Video Toaster User and then you turned it into Video Toaster Expert. It's a whole new thing. You're just sending it to the same people. He's going to make X.com or whatever version of a social media platform that Elon Musk wants, which will have a payment system in it and a video streaming system in it. And everybody who's on Twitter will be invited to be on that. And in a day, he'll have a million whatever users and he'll make something much better. He doesn't need Twitter at all. I think this entire exercise is he knows he's got Twitter's number and it's coming up right now and they are not going to do well. Well, and let me point out, people ask, what does Musk want? It's not hard to figure out what Musk wants. One of the things he clearly wants is data because he uses it for AI. He develops AI for his cars and yep. other things he does. And you need a lot of data to make AI systems work. Does that make sense, Jason? Yep. Remember that movie with Johnny Five where he just wanted more input? But I think it, you're right. But I think it goes beyond that, Lee, because when this all started in April, and remember yes, Nina Jankowicz. I, I agree with that, by the way. Two, two days after Elon Musk, April 25th, Elon Musk says, you know what? This is not cool. You kicked off Babylon B. You kicked off Donald Trump. We need free speech on this thing. I'm going to buy it because I want free speech. That's what he said. Two days later, the DHS reveals the Department of uh, – sorry, the uh, Disinformation Governance Board two days later, and they're going to patrol Twitter according to them. 
my phone call with Nina Jankowitz, she revealed that she had been working there since March. So why did they come out with this announcement immediately after Musk said that? But I became very interested in this Elon Musk Twitter buy. And what I started doing is watching every Elon Musk video I could find. Not stupid Elon Musk videos made by other people about him, but any interview with Elon Musk, any speech, just going back to when he's like really young, you know, and there's a lot of video. He is quite, you know, vocal and everything. And he, like Putin, has been very consistent with what he has said over the past, let's say, 20 years. And I believe that Elon Musk is fascinated by Twitter because he observes it to be the most mature cybernetic consciousness right now. And I think that he he's told us that he's on the autism spectrum. And I'm not saying this to insult him. I'm saying I believe he has an autistic level uh, fascination or fixation with consciousness. And I think he's upset that Twitter is manipulating this organically growing cybernetic consciousness. And while he recognizes the need to prevent illegal and tortious things from being in there, I think he otherwise wants it to be allowed to organically develop as its own cybernetic, it's artificial intelligence, it's manipulated by humans, humans who aren't like scientists. It's like, this is something that's growing and he wants it to grow. And if they won't let it grow in a fair environment, then he'll cut it off and start his own new one. Think about it, Lee. The guy's got $44 million between him and Andreessen and Goldman Sachs or whoever he's put together to do this Twitter buy. If you're Elon Musk, why do you want a 16-year-old piece of crap company that's turned a profit maybe one year in its whole entire existence that's at the center of all this controversy? Why not take your $44 billion and say, we're going to create Elon Musk venture capital, whatever, and go bring me the 44 well, coolest stars and we'll give them each $1 billion. Then we got to get the calls. The reason yeah. why, Jason, is you're not going to build a user base like Twitter instantly. That Twitter user base was built over 16 years. You, there's yeah. no way. What you're buying is the users. Well, that's true. Is the number that's of true. users. Right. A especially, you're not going to get the user base that is institutionally powerful. Every is member of Congress. Is that worth $44 billion? Yes. That's the only right. thing that's worth $44 billion, the user right. base, because every member of Congress is on Twitter. No members of Congress are on a new platform, Elon Musk starts, and some True. won't join. True. They, the Democrats are going to make this a, a point of pride. They're going to say, I'm not going to join the Elon Musk new forum. So Won't they just the quit thing, Twitter Ryan, when he takes it over? Won't they just quit and protest? Well, you know, people don't quit Netflix when they haven't watched anything for six months. People's inherent laziness means yeah. that I don't – I think they'll say they'll quit, but they won't. He, re I don't he retains Netflix. most of the user base. You're right. And if, if, right. if he doesn't retain the user base, then he's never going to get those people. Yeah, if true, he has, has someone, you, you see what I'm saying? But no, you're right. Is, well, Final thing on Twitter, I was just assaulted by one of their employees on the street. I went over to the Twitter New York headquarters. A security guy walked out, and I said, hey, did you hear this whistleblower? He nodded at me, like saying hello, kind of. And I said, did you hear about this whistleblower? He's saying there's all kinds of security problems. Refused to speak. And then when I said, okay, have a nice day, he threatened me with physical violence. Really? 
Yeah. Well, imagine if you'd gone in to talk to him. Don't do well, it, I Jason. went in afterwards. I went in afterwards. It's all on Crowdsource the Truth, but we'll talk about that later. We have other stuff to get to. Okay. And we have calls to get to on yeah. the switchboard, 202-521-1320. The killer of owls. Owl yeah. killer is on. Yeah. Hit it, Al Hi, Al What's up, man? So, all right. So, I got to go back to your first, the first hour. Um, well, before I go there... Seriously, what happened to the Drudge Report? So I, I, I know, Lee, you got to have some yeah. type of ear to the ground with that because I, I saw the little kids playing on the tank yesterday in, in Ukraine. What what happened? Did he sell it, or is he just trying to get back at the right for, I guess, taking him for granted? Well, I didn't see the—what what, what are you talking about? Because I didn't see that footage because I don't look at Drudge anymore. What, what are you talking about, Al Keller? On the front page, um, it was kids, Ukrainian kids playing on a uh, captured Russian tank, absolute propaganda. I mean, I could have shot yeah. that in my backyard. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just absolute propaganda. I, I don't know. If you, you just read the, the headline, every it seems they start getting a little more mixed after it went completely left um, in, from like 2018 to 2020. But... Um, now it's just straight war propaganda, and I, I did he, like did it, there's no way somebody like that could that could have a legitimate change of heart. I, I just don't see it happening. I was wondering if you knew if he actually sold it or is that. Um, I I don't have any re- reason to believe he sold it. I believe Drudge was an old school conservative, and he he's done nothing in his career that's changed my opinion on that. And part of being an old school conservative, and I mean Bush era conservative, you were a neocon. They're all neocons. So that's completely consistent. Jason, do you have an opinion? Uh, I just think that sometimes, you know, I don't know if he sold it, but somebody got to him and said, this is what you're going to do now. Maybe he was threatened. Maybe he was, I don't know. It's, It's tough to say. I have no insight. I'd be guessing. But I agree, it's gone but, to hell. But what, what, when was not it hell? When when did Judge Drudge take a position that you didn't he think break he the Monica Lewinsky story? What does that have to do with anything? In other words, what position? Yes, he did break the Monica Lewinsky story. It but seemed I don't like see at that. one point it was an aggregation of sensible, interesting news, and then it like went to this thing where it was always about people in Japan marrying robots and different sex robots coming out, and now it's just total lefty. I don't know what happened. Well, see, I I, I doubt it's lefty. What people are calling lefty, I think, is establishment Republican. No, it's right. to the left of it's to the left of Mao. <laughs> it, 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 well, it's, it's just become total fake news, basically. It's well, OK, let's look at it and we'll name some examples. I mean, it's just it's constantly anti-Trump. It's uh Vladimir, you know, it's just, Vladimir Putin, the rabbit ear mutant, and all this other stuff. That's that's all it is. It's like straight. So he's a neocon, much like George Bush, an old school Republican. Maybe. Neocons, that might be right. Neocons are the foreign policy of the Republicans for years. And I think that's slowly changing. And I think it'll be changed in a few years. I think in 10 years, the Republicans will be unrecognizable because I think. The people who get elected are people like Carrie Lake or people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, people like Lauren Bullard or Thomas Massey. But right now, Drudge is from an era 20, 30 years ago where to get along, he was a Bush fan. 
and, and it was a neocon. But great call, Al Kohler, and great question. Thanks for calling. 202-521-1320. Ingrid, what is on your mind? Hi, Lee. I want to tell you about the next D.C. action for Assange, which is going to be this Thursday. But I also first have a message for Tarif, if he's listening. Um, there's going to be a movie opening. It's already premiered in in the United Kingdom about uh, Assange's father and brother, the Shiptons. And I've only seen a trailer, but at some point after the middle of November, it's going to be premiering in the United States somewhere. But it has an, a website. It's called Ithaca, spelled with a K. And um, you can go there and you can sign up and say that you want to host a showing. And certainly between now and then, Tarif can find a, a church or a university or someplace where he could host the showing of this if he wants to do that. <clears throat> Meet the ship and whatnot. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Ingrid. That's a great suggestion. And this is something you might be happy about. I might. It might be time for me to move back to D.C., Virginia, oh. but D.C. And I was going to talk to you about that too, Jason. I yeah, could that's be cool. time for me to move back to D.C. Great. And if I, and I was talking to my girlfriend Danny because of course she'd be going with me, and mm. Danny is from South Dakota, originally Denver, actually, but she's huh. never been to D.C. Huh. And been there at a all. More, a lot more hustle and bustle than Denver, even, I think. Well, and also, I was talking about the things that are great about D.C. And Restaurants. one of the things I think is great about D.C. is the number of museums. That's true, so I know actually, it, yeah. It didn't, and I know it, the stuff she likes. And she, being near the Smithsonian Institution is going to be great because she's going to be excited to see all the stuff at the Smithsonian and yeah. all the other museums. And not but, having to drive is very good for you, too. Yeah, the, the Metro, she asked about that. She has a car, and we'd probably bring her car because the other nice thing about being in D.C. is you're a three-hour train ride from New York. Right. And, and obviously... Driving into New York is problematic yeah. for a variety of reasons. But uh, taking a train into – where does the train go? It goes in Pen, Penn, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's – I mean, not to discourage – I like this plan, but New York is so dangerous and unpleasant. I can't remember the last time I left my apartment and didn't have some kind of altercation with a maniac on the street. Well, I – and that's a factor. But I'm feeling – I'm not going to go anywhere that I think is risky. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, you should not. Now, that might be the street, but right. <laughs> and it, it certainly means the subway in New York. Uh, I just but, wrote uh, it today for the first time in many, many months, and it was all right. Nothing bad. But you're right. They're pushing people on the tracks. When I was leaving the subway, two transit officers were coming down the stairs. That was positive. Let me not be totally negative. Um and I, I hope they can turn it around. Our bodyguard protected, Jason. If we go know. to New York, I'll, I'll do my best, Lee. But I mean, I'm getting you know hassled and assaulted by uh, Twitter security and people everywhere I go. Okay, no pressure, Jason. But our life <laughs> is in your hands. Okay. So let's go to calls again. Two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. In DC, Malik, 
Malik, how's DC doing? If I go back anytime soon, how's DC currently? Well, uh, it it hasn't changed very much. Uh, you know, uh, it's still the headquarters of the uh, corrupt American political class, um, the largest gang in the country. So it- Mainly, and you probably don't know the answer to this, but I want to know if I can still get a steak at the Trump Hotel, because that is my favorite steakhouse in D.C. at the Trump Hotel. But I don't know if the Trump Hotels, what's up with it? He was trying to sell it. Didn't he Jason. sell it? Yeah. No, I know. I, I don't think he did sell it. From what I understand, it's uh, it's it's partly owned by Floyd Mayweather now. Whoa, so really? The Floyd Mayweather Hotel by the time you get back, Lee. That's cool. Yeah. If Mayweather's, uh, we might pick him for security over you, Jason. <laughs> yeah, that no would be insult. definitely better, yeah. But Floyd Mayweather's a hitter. But you didn't call to talk about Floyd Mayweather. Thanks for bearing with me, Malik. What did you call to talk about? What's on your mind? Well, uh, yeah, I know you, you probably don't have much time there, but I, I did want to touch on... Uh, I have eight minutes. Uh, okay. Some of your, your commentary there on on the police. Uh, you know, real quick, you know, in terms of, of the woman who issued the warrant, uh, uh, in that case, it, it, it really doesn't matter. And, and speaking as someone who, uh, from New York City, who organized, um, you know, was part of one of the first um, uh, video police patrols in the country, uh, probably the uh, uh, first police uh, video police patrol before Cop Watch. Um, it, it didn't matter for us, uh, the, uh, the race of the police officers uh, that were involved in, in, in misconduct and murder. It didn't, and it, and it, doesn't and it doesn't it generally doesn't matter to to many poli- uh, political organizers who organize around this issue who may have you know what the color of the police officers were and and the woman who issued the warrant and and who knows it may matter to black lives matter i don't ascribe to their politics uh in particular so it it, it may matter but you know i i, I kind of you know want you know if you, and I'm sure you want to respond to that, Lee, but I, I did want to get to the core of 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 some of your 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 support of the police. So, uh, first off, I, you said something I'm very curious about. When you said your politics are different than Black Lives Matter, how do you see Black Lives Matter politics? I I see Black Lives uh, Matter politics their politics as being largely. Um, reactionary, uh, largely extremely liberal, um, and... And explain what you mean by liberal, because I think I know what you mean. You don't mean you're not a liberal, right? You mean establishment. You mean... I'm not a liberal. Democrat, essentially, right? Uh, I mean, I mean, they're, they're largely a, an organization that um, and I won't even get into some of the, the iffy corruption, the corrupt aspects of Black Lives Matter. They're a reformist organization. Um, so I, I think, you know, you know, ultimately, they're, I don't think they're very different from the NAACP. Now, do you think they started that way? Because from studying Black Lives Matter, they did not start that way. And I agree with you at this point, they're an arm of the Democratic Party. But when they started... They they were, I think, different. What do you think about that, Malik? My understanding of, of Black Lives Matter, and 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 I understand you you were you were around St. Louis, uh, 
during some of the uh, you know the beginnings of, of Black Lives Matter. But my understanding is is that uh, a lot of the people who were first involved in Black Lives Matter were the people who uh, were largely from the the working the poor and working class in St. Louis who were involved in some of the first uprisings around uh, the Mike Brown killing. So I, I I trace the origins of Black Lives Matter because clearly. Black Lives Matter was formed in the wake of the George Zimmerman murder, And Patrice Cullors and Alicia Garza, I think it was Alicia, but it, it could have been, no, it was Alicia. It was not open to many. But Patrice Cullors and Alicia Garza came up with the hashtag Black Lives Matter. And their background is their Marxist, Patrice Cullors, yeah. I know Trained all of Marxists, where they said, "Yes, yes, she, she, she's a Marxist, and her mentor was a guy named Eric Mann, who was in the White Underground." Yeah, right. But but I, they're I, anarchists then, as well. And and then that came up about the Mike Brown thing came up about a year later, and it's the first thing it it put. I agree with you that a lot of people. St. Louis put Black Lives Matter on the map. They never heard of it. But I, because I was working on a reporter on the George Zimmerman verge, I was following from the beginning what was happening with, with that group. But uh, so you had a question, Malik? You answered mine. What was your question? You know, and, and, I, and I just wanted to add, and I've, I've said this to you uh, before in the past in terms of you know, um, how these things start and how black, the origins of Black Lives Matter, um, you know, largely it, it's it's middle class, liberal educated black kids that, you know, jumped on the hashtag before that. I mean, you can't it, you can't get poor and working class folks, particularly in St. Louis, to jump on a hashtag. Uh, that that's not how things start with them. It, it it generally is more organic, and and there is a class divide. And that's another thing that I would say about Black Lives Matter. Uh, and you know they're largely made up of liberal educated, liberal indoctrinated, um, middle class black kids who have who are uh, who have a distinct uh, world outlook that is very different from the poor and working class black community. Um, but real quickly, um, the the recent beating of uh, Randall Worc- uh, Worcester, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, the uh, the white guy who was uh, recently beat by the police. The video you guys were talking about, Arkansas, yeah, yeah, in Arkansas, right. And and I I, I don't want to you know I don't want to get what you said uh, wrong, but again, your your it seems like your position is. Despite the fact of how it looks with these three officers uh, on top of this man and pun- punching, pummeling his head and slamming his head into the concrete, that we should, you know, we should refrain from making a judgment in cases like that, despite the fact that most of us thinking people have an understanding of when, it, when, it, when a, a quote unquote suspect is unarmed, what you know, what is reasonable and restraint. Now, let me ask you, who did I say should refrain from making judgment? Because I mentioned one person specifically, and it wasn't you. Okay. Gotcha. Well, it, was, it was Lee's himself said he was refraining from making judgment. Right. 
that that's right. I refrain from making judgments. And I said it looked like they were kind of pounding on his head a lot, maybe more than needed. I, I agree that <laughs> yeah. it looks like that. I, I I can still see enough to see, yeah, you know that looked bad. But my as, and just to interject, and my feeling Lee is that. You were sort of speaking in general about all of these different videos we see and the tendency for people to see any police use of force as excessive. And it was more of a let's just get into the habit of seeing all the material before we come to a decision. Yes, that's right. And I have a new theory that uh, and Greg called Malik. Thanks for calling. One last thing on that call. That Trump Hotel, yeah. Lee, they sold it. It's now the Waldorf Astoria, Washington, D.C. Record-setting price oh, really? sold for $375 million in May, yeah. Okay, all I want is to take it, BLT. Be- yeah, I don't know, you know if it's why, still Jason? there. Why? It's delicious. Have you? I went with you. And you we know went what? one time. Salted in that room you- and everything. Right. They aged them. They aged yeah. the steaks for months in a, in a chamber where the walls are made of salt. Right. And the salt yes. keeps it keeps the meat from going bad, but allows it to age. So right. because that is a second BLT is steakhouse that was in Trump, there's another one on I. It's a chain, a, a mini chain. But does that make sense? BLT yeah. owns two restaurants. And because one was at the Trump I have a feeling it might still be there because it was not run by the people at the Trump. Right. But does that well, make sense, Jason? Yeah, no, I don't think it's a chain. It's that's the name of the chef, and he owns a few different restaurants, like Laurent Thomas or something like that, and he owns a bunch of – oh, it says it's temporarily closed, BLT Steakhouse. Bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, maybe remodeling so, it? We'll find out more. I don't know. The Capitol Grill is because there's a pretty good steak at Capitol Grill. But I like mm-hmm. it better at the Trump one. But that is now food that I'll never eat again, apparently. Apparently it's oh. gone. So it's like that? Bruno's Pizza in East Long Island, Massachusetts. <laughs> you know, do you ever get this way? We had a place in where I'm from, East Long Island, Massachusetts, Bruno's Pizza. And they closed when I was about 17 years old. Uh-huh. But I still have cravings for that pizza. Yeah. That no, I do know what you mean. 12. Yeah, that's Mr. D's yeah. on Long Island for me and lots of restaurants in Manhattan that have closed in the past two years. I think someone could find a business in vintage food. Right, Just recreating food. lost recipes, yeah. And I worked at Chi Chi's Mexican restaurant, which uh-huh. a lot of people remember. Yeah. And I like some of the stuff at Chi Chi's. Get on that one. So Is that out of business? Let's take a short... Let's take a short break, Jason. But when we come back, we'll be joined by none other than the great Kim Iverson on The Backstory. Backstory and on 105.5 FM AM 1390. Joining us now, the great host of the Kim Robertson Show, and she's she's doing a lot of stuff, but we haven't talked to her in a few months. 
Kim Iverson. Hey, Kim, how you doing? Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, Kim. Well, it's great to have you on. So at the beginning of the show, Jason and I were talking about the beefs that seem to show up on the left quite a bit. And a show that covers that I found the beefs that's going on. Why do you think the left, and I'm talking about people like Aaron Maté and Glenn Greenwald, you've seen them attacked by leftists a lot. Right, Kim? Am I, am I correct about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's definitely a big beef with, with the left, you know, different factions of the left. And some people would say, oh, right. they're not the left. But, I mean, they are on the left, clearly. Yes. And so why do you think – what is it about the left that you think causes so much infighting, if you do agree with me, that there's a lot? Um, I, I think that there's just – I don't know if it's really any different even from the right, to be honest with you. I've spent some time around people that are – that you know, are on the right, they're, they're, they're Republicans or they're libertarians or conservatives, and they even have quite a bit of infighting amongst themselves. But, you know, the big difference is it doesn't play out as publicly. And that's because in the end, conservatives tend to rally together, right? So they kind of put their differences aside in order to circle their wagons um, towards a common goal. And that we don't see on the left. The left has, I'd say, the same amount of infighting. It's just it becomes way more public. And there isn't this desire as much right now to circle the wagons. I think there used to be a time on the right where it was a similar uh, similar mentality. And that was when the party was more controlled by the, I would say, the Christian um, conservatives. And I, when, when morality is involved, when you start to get into moral arguments, and it's not just a difference in how things should be run or a difference in, you know, some ideologies, like, of course, libertarians are going to have a different viewpoint than certain other, you know, standard Republicans, or, or certainly a lot of the Christian conservatives are not going to have the same, same ideas on. Um, but when you allow morality to be the loudest group in the party. And that has shifted for Republicans. So for Republicans, it used to be, I would say, the Christian, the Christian conservatives were very loud and they very much controlled the party. But that's dwindling because younger Republicans are not as religious. And um, so, but what we're seeing on the left is we're seeing that increase in the morality arguments. So it used to be where on the left, people had kind of a live and let live attitude to each their own, but that has been replaced with this new like wokeism style of religion. You know, it's not based on the Bible or God, but it's, it is like a religion and that if you don't adhere to it, you are now a heathen, you're a, a pariah on society, you're a bad person. And so then they, then they say, well, I don't even want to associate with you because you don't agree with my every, my every uh, whatever it is, right? I mean, it's obviously not based on like I said, the Bible or a book or whatever, but it's based on something else. And it's kind of this ever fluctuating and changing. It's very fluid right now because it's not based on really anything except the loudest group and their ideology. And so I think anytime you get morality involved on either side of the aisle, if you allow the morality group, the group that thinks if you don't agree with them, then you are either going to hell or you, you know, or you're a heathen of some kind, or you're just an immoral person that is going to cause major divide within the party. That is going to cause people 
to war with one another. And it's going to cause that group that believes that they're carrying the moral torch, it's going to cause them to uh, demonize others that do not exactly agree on certain things, even though they might agree on many others. And I think that's what we're seeing right now on the left. Well, great analysis, Kim. And I, I think you made an important point that it's not and I, I'm not saying the Bible is the only objective standard. But since it's hard to tell what the standard is on the left, it's a floating target. It's a moving target you're trying to hit. I think that makes it tougher for people on the left. Jason, what do you think of Kim's analysis? I think it's spot on. I just, you know, it's difficult for me to explain how we've gotten to where we are right here. It seems like social media is playing a role. I mean, frankly, it's it's just I feel like that we have put up with a lot of dishonesty for a long time, like kind of joked about it or accepted like, oh, there's a certain amount of corruption in politics. And it feels like all of that is coming home to roost now. Like there's only so much kicking of a can down a road you can do before you reach the dead end where all the cans are. Mm hmm. And Kim, any comment on that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's, um, uh, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think we agree that it's just, it's, there's a mess right now with the, with the morality stuff. And, yeah. you know, the left needs to kind of figure out where they're going to go, you know, like, who's really going to be in charge and who's going to be able to control the narrative. And, um, but it's really, really difficult, you know, when you get people who are, controlling things from a moral perspective. They just don't want to let that go. They, and they just don't feel like they can compromise. What do you think about all this stuff that's been happening with the attempts to govern information, like the disinformation governance board, and now we've heard the World Economic Forum and the UN are talking about having digital first responders. It's like they want something that supersedes the Constitution. Sure, the First Amendment allows you to say this, but we think it's mean or objectionable by our moral standard so it's lawful, but it's awful, and you should be removed from the Internet and lose your ability to do commerce on the Internet and be heard. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, again, that, that I think there's two reasons for that. I think that a lot of the, uh, you know, obviously you've got the morality, the morality crowd that is saying, because you're immoral, we don't want to hear from you. You know, what you're saying is so dangerous, so bad, so evil that you must be silenced because it's just so terrible what you're saying. So that is clearly coming from a place of morality. But I do think that those in power are utilizing that and harnessing the sentiments that are being felt by many of the really loud sort of wokest um, people on the left and using that to their advantage as an excuse for creating a much larger surveillance state, um, right. a way for them to control the people in a way that's to their individual advantage. You know, for the the, the uh, elites, those that are, you know, I think they're realizing, too, as the population increases, um, it's a lot harder to control people, right? When you've got large swaths of people as the population doubles and triples over time. And so I think they're trying to be like China. You know, they want to be able to control one and a half billion people. And the way you do that is by expanding the, these types of this type of governance, you know, you you tell people what they can and cannot say, what they can and cannot think, what they can and cannot do, and that's how you keep a group of one and a half billion people controlled from rising up against the elites. But aren't they also redefining morality? In other words, if I tell someone on Twitter, "Hey, you're a jerk," someone might find that not nice, immoral, whatever. 
But if I express my opinion that I think it's irresponsible and dangerous to try to influence very young children or perhaps people suffering from body dysmorphia, to tell them things that are contradicting biological facts, you know, they would determine my position against the promotion of transgenderism as immoral and taking a, a minor and giving them permanent uh, genital disfiguring surgery without parental notice, that's the moral thing to do. They're redefining morality, aren't they? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem with it is that, and, and not only that, but no one can keep up with it, right? Right. In one minute, you're, you're moral and good one minute to the crowd. And then the next you're not because you don't, you disagree with them on something like the trans issue or, you know, with um, trans women being able to play against biological women right. in sports or, you know, yeah, the, the children and, and um, so, yeah, I mean, if you disagree on one point, but that's, that's where, that's why it's, it's this ever shifting, you know, bar. And that's why it is very different than like the Christian conservatives that had more of a, a say in the Republican Party for many years. But like I said, I don't, I think they've lost a lot of their power, but, but they used to be very much in control and it was easier, right? Because it was based on a clear, I mean, yeah, each religion kind of has a little bit of a different interpretation of the Bible, but at least there was the Bible that people were at least pointing to, I suppose, and yeah. saying, this is what we believe is our morality. In this situation, it's a much, it's, it's fluid and it seems to depend on the day. You know, like you could be a, a, a group that's oppressed one minute and then the next minute you're the oppressor, according to this type right. of wokeism religion. So there's no keeping up with it. That's one thing that makes it, in particular, very difficult. It's not like you can convert to it and believe it and then just right. accept it and be always in the good, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, Kim, it's been a few months since we've talked to you, and I don't want to do it at, at the end of the segment. Talk about what projects you currently have and where people can find them, because I want to get out of the way, because at the end of the show, sometimes it becomes a little rush. So, Kim, what are you working on and where can people find your stuff? Well, right now I'm just doing my show. So if you go to, you know, KimIversonShow.com, that is where my show is. So I've been doing a segment a day that I've been rolling out uh, Monday through Thursday, sometimes on Fridays on that channel. And right now I'm just kind of working on some other possible projects that I might be launching in the future, um, talking to some companies about maybe joining them or you know, moving my show to their platform or something like that. But at, right now, I'm, I'm just back to being independent, back to doing my own channel, and things are going really well. So that's that's where you could find me right now. It's just KimIversonShow.com. That piques my now, interest. Are you, what are you, what alternate platforms are approaching you about moving your show to the platform? Well, I mean, I can't really talk oh, about it. Oh, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> Because we are. see all of these with Rumble and Odyssey and Spotify and everything. There was an article in Reuters today that said that BitChute and Odyssey are evil, according to Reuters. It didn't mention Rumble. It didn't mention some of these other things. And uh, it's interesting to see that. Yeah, I mean, why would they even say that? You know, that again. I mean, I could answer. I think I know. I what think that Rumble. Well, Rumble has recently announced that they have made another step in their merger with or acquisition by a Cantor Fitzgerald venture firm. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's just a coincidence. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. But Howard Lutnick of Cantor Fitzgerald did have a townhouse 
I believe, directly next door or right across the street from Jeffrey Epstein. And Rumble seems to really promote Alan Dershowitz and other people that have said things around Jeffrey Epstein that I don't quite trust. And they've done some other things. I, you know, th these platforms, they say, hey, you don't trust Google, you don't trust Facebook, trust us. It's like, well, how do we know that this is any different, not just something with a different badge on it? I mean, you can't trust any of it. Right. Uh, but I don't think you need to trust any of it. You know, it's right. As long as you can remain independent, then yeah. like I don't trust YouTube, but I'm on YouTube, right? I don't trust right. Google, but it doesn't stop me from being on YouTube. Um, right. My show is also on Rumble, and I don't. I I mean, as long as I'm not being censored or silenced, but even then on YouTube I am, right? They're always right. after us. So right. there's no way, unfortunately, to trust anyone or anything. And of course, a platform can come out and say we're the platform that's going to be. You know, we're not going to uh, hinder in the same way. None of them are really coming out saying we're the free speech platform because they know that that can get them into some trouble. You do have to have some controls, I suppose. But, uh, you know, maybe. But um, that's what's happening to Odyssey and BitChute because they have been authentically focused on allowing people to utilize free speech. They're being attacked. I think these other things that have controls on them, and I think Rumble is the next one that we're going to see start censoring. And as you said, we're all censored on YouTube, even if they're not deleting the videos, because the fact that we're aware, you know, you've got a half a million viewers on YouTube. That's a valuable property for you and your show, and you don't want to lose that, but so you're going Jason, to self-censor. Don't you think that would kill Rumble? Because Rumble's out there saying, we're the free speech platform. If they start banning, so far, has Rumble banned one single piece of content that you're aware of, Jason? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've deleted comments. They, uh, I'm paying to be on Rumble, and the channel is supposed to be monetized. I had a whole thing with their tech support where they said, oh, we fixed the problem. You're monetized now. I get thousands of views on there. I haven't earned one cent, and people tell me they're not seeing ads. So what are they doing? And when I say not trusting them, that's a, uh, that's a poor choice of words. I'm saying there's something going on here, and I think we need to be very aware of it and we're being baby stepped. You know, YouTube went from anything goes to if you say the wrong thing, you're deleted immediately. And we're all just being corralled into these, you know, censorship bins. Now, Kim, are you still in Southern California? I am, yeah. Okay, so let me ask you I talked to a friend recently who's in SoCal. And Jason, you know my brother. My yeah. brother and his family, his wife, have had COVID, and this friend of mine has said everyone she knows, she's in Santa Barbara County, has had COVID. Are you seeing that? And and LA is starting to bring back the mask, but she said it's no big deal. COVID, everyone she knows had it, but no one's been in the hospital or anything. Are you seeing? What are you seeing about COVID in in LA right now? Oh, gosh, I nothing really. I mean, no one, you know, people have moved on. It just seems like life is back to normal completely here. Uh, I mean, the elevators are crowded. The stores, no one's wearing a mask. Um, people, they might be talking about it, but if they are, and even if they are trying to tell people to do it, no one's listening anymore. I mean, people are just <laughs> over it. <laughs> even in L.A., people are over it. And have you experienced that people you know have gotten COVID and it's been mild, it's been like a flu? Have you noticed that at all? 
or if your friends been spared? No, everybody I know has had COVID at this point. I don't know. The only people I know that have not had COVID are my elderly family, thank goodness, you know, that we've kept them very more, you know, safer. We're very careful um, about going around our, you know, 95-year-old grandmothers. Like, for example, we were supposed to take our 95-year-old grandmother out to lunch on Sunday, and we had to cancel because we realized we went to a wedding on Saturday night in a big room with 200 people, and we just thought maybe it's not a good idea to take her to lunch on Sunday. Maybe we should wait one week, you know, and, and make sure we don't get, we're not sick from the big event we were at. So I think, you know, we, I think we're more careful. And so I haven't seen my elderly family get sick, but everybody else I know, no matter how many jabs they've had, I mean, they all cough. Ah, there you just said it because now you know me and I haven't had COVID or the vaccine. Well, so do you stay isolated? I mean, unless. No, no. I have been interacting with bums on the subway from the very first day this happened. I've been going around New York City. Getting but assaulted Jason, by leave, maniacs. Leave your dating life out of it, because that had nothing. <laughs> oh wait, you weren't talking about that. Go, no, go I, ahead. Sorry. Assaulted by maniacs, slipping on feces in Penn Station, and I mean, I'm not saying I don't believe in COVID. I, said I leave believe. Your dating life out of it. <laughs> I, I absolutely sorry, believe that the virus is real. I'm not saying that this is a hoax. I believe that it is real. I just think that when you're dealing with complicated scenarios like kim let me ask you this are you a computer expert would you say no all right lee and i have <laughs> tremendous expertise with computers do you think if we wanted to if we wanted to convince you that your computer was broken let's say we were your computer repair guys and you call us in for some problem and we knew how to fix it but we didn't want to don't you think it would be easy for a computer expert to deceive you in some way to make you think your computer was irreparable. I mean, the point I'm getting at is health right. and diagnosing diseases is so complicated that if some person in the medical profession wanted to deceive people, even other medical professionals, it's so complicated that they could do it. And unwinding that deception could be extremely complicated to do. What are you, what are you implying with the virus? Well, did you know that in 2000, I think five or nine, the NIH set about to genetically resurrect the 1918 Spanish flu and they succeeded. They went to a U.S. Army base in Alaska where several soldiers had been buried in a mass grave. They had died not from the war, but from Spanish flu. And because they were frozen, they were able to scrape the lung tissue from these people and using a CRISPR machine, genetically recreate the Spanish flu. And they've been doing gain of function with this at the University of Wisconsin. I forget the name of the scientist, the Jap Japanese scientist. And uh, it's well known that gain of function research often involves taking some pathogen and genetically combining it with something like a coronavirus that, you know, is uh, something that can infect humans. Now, I don't know the purpose of that, but the point is, we have had a lot of diagnoses that are based on symptoms. If you have fever and you're vomiting and you're coughing or whatever, well, okay, that's the flu, that's coronavirus, that can be a lot of things. And then in severe cases, it's led to hospitalization where people die from pneumonia and other things. We've had many revelations over the course of the last two years where they've said something like, oh, you know, 6% of people died only with COVID and 94% had three other comorbidities. Right. 
Well, Jason, I'm glad you brought up gain-of-function research because in the last few minutes, Kim, I want to see, do you have thoughts on Anthony Fauci resigning yeah, as he announced exactly. in the last couple of days? What What are your thoughts on that? He's, he's going to move on to, like, Moderna or the WHO or Bill Gates Foundation. <laughs> exactly. He's just moving to a new position, and that position could be more dangerous because he'll have money behind him. So he's a lot more influential if he's a spokesperson for a company with a boatload of cash that is donating to our politicians and donating to these scientific institutions that are supposed to be unbiased, but they're not because there's influence in money. So I think actually Anthony Fauci becomes more dangerous over the next five, 10 years when he works. Right now, he's just a government spokesperson working for the government. Okay, fine. People ignore government all the time. But you know what? The government doesn't ignore. The government doesn't ignore the big money interest. And if he's a mouthpiece for a big money interest company sitting on the board, like many of these FDA guys that have moved on to sitting on the boards of Pfizer. And, you know, I mean, if he moves on to something like that, I think Anthony Fauci becomes more dangerous. I don't think we're out of the woods with this guy. What do you say about and, people and who claim he's day. resigning to avoid so, getting um, investigated by Rand Paul? He's still going to be investigated. That's not going to stop anything. And they're not going to find yeah. anything. I mean, it's a, it, you know, they're just doing it for political points because they're never going to find the root cause of the COVID pandemic. You know, the lab leak, it's definitely something we need to explore, like with gain of function research and whatnot, and certainly have bigger discussions and, and what, you know, whether or not we should let scientists run amok like this. But they're not going to do anything about it. The guy's not going to go to jail or anything like that. So, and really, I think what they should be questioning him about, not only that, I mean, I think that's an important thing, because, of course, if it was the cause of the pandemic, that's a huge issue. But they also should be questioning him about the pandemic response, which has caused, which has been extremely devastating to various different groups of people, children, the poor, yeah. people around the world that are very poor. Right. So there definitely needs to be like some kind of an investigation and dragging all of these people in just so that we can maybe learn from these mistakes, that we don't do it again the next time around. Uh, but uh, they're not planning on doing that. I mean, the GOP, these guys just want to drag him in and talk about the lab leak theory. Nothing's going to be found. It's just for show. It's just like what they do to Donald Trump all the time. So it's pointless, you know, and, and he knows it. Fauci will be dragged in. He'll answer some questions. He'll be his normal self. He'll be then a folk hero to the left. And he'll be, and while he's sitting somewhere in some new position, making a boatload of cash, which will allow him to lawyer up or, you know, the company that he works for, will provide them for him as part of his deal for going to work for them. I assume there'll be lots of pictures of him chewing on his, doing that, if you're watching on video, chewing his glasses. Have you noticed he puts yeah. the ear part I, yeah. of his glasses in his mouth a lot? Bad for your that teeth. That doesn't seem sanitary to me. No. no I don't know no. much. And I, I, I do think 10 years out, he becomes kind of less dangerous. He is 81, so I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know. You'd think he'd be less dangerous today, but here so, we are. If he's 81, who's older, Fauci or Biden? Fauci. Fauci, right? Yeah. Is that that shocking to you? If you just look at those two guys. You know, Joe Biden has had two aneurysms and brain surgery. So I think anytime uh, somebody experiences a major surgery, it has a tendency to age them a lot. And Anthony Fauci, I would say, uh, all the negative things I have to say about him, he is remarkably physically fit for a man of 80 years. And so we're out of time. But yeah. but do I seem older than Fauci? No. Maybe. <laughs> no. Okay, it's possible. Kim, great conversation. And it was great having you on the show again. 
let us know what you're up to and anything we can do to help. We love you and we love your work. Kim Iverson, great appearance. Thanks, and Kim. thanks so much to Jason Goodman, great hosting, and Elijah Marnier for a great appearance earlier. We'll be back tomorrow. We're trying to get Mark Sloboda on tomorrow to talk about Daria Bugina on the backstory. Thank you.